All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Ega and Carlos Tennis Show. Uh, this is your host, Bunch, and we're really excited for this one, episode six. It's been a while, Damien. Uh, you know, been been a while since we recorded this. It's been, you know, about a couple of weeks since since we last spoke at the end of Roland Garros, but I think we have quite a lot to catch up on as far as Iga and Carlos are concerned. You know, Wimbledon is starting on Monday. We have the draws in front of us. We have obviously the Queen's run for Alcaraz to discuss as well as Iga and Bad Omberg and just, you know, new developments in terms of their grass game. So really excited about this one, Damien. How are you doing? Um, yeah, initially we were planning to do like a recording after after Alcaraz won Queens and then, um, you know, our plans changed, but I think this is also going to work pretty nicely. We have some intel on how both Świątek and Alcaraz looked already on the grass and yeah, let's just um, d- dive into it. And also, of course, we're going to be talking about how their draws at Wimbledon are, uh, are looking like and, you know, what's the chances that uh, they actually go deep there. Yeah, for sure. And I guess let's let's start by talking a little bit actually about Igor Svantec. I guess okay. let's uh, you know obviously we closed the book on everything that happened at Roland Garros, uh, and then we you know we saw her play this weekend by Omberg. I guess what were your sort of main takeaways from the three matches that we did say? We should say that she actually was supposed to play again today in the semis uh, of Ben Omberg, but she pulled out because she had a bit of a fever and. Uh, and also just yeah, I think I think mainly it was a fever, right? Or was there something else that I'm um I read food oh, poisoning, but food I... poisoning as well. Yeah, I think I saw that too. But uh but do you think that's maybe more precautionary, just a couple of days getting ready for Wimbledon? Or do you think actually because she's playing on Monday, you know, maybe this is maybe this is actually something a bit more serious, like an illness or something? Um, you know, when I saw that she she withdrew at first, I definitely thought, okay, so she just, you know, got everything she wants out of Bad Homburg and she just wants to leave for Wimbledon, which, um, you know, I think would have been a, the smart choice. Uh, when I read later that, you know, yeah, some there's some other stuff. Um, I don't want to, like, guess, you know, whether it's actually just preventive, whether it's just her wanting to go to London or whether there's yeah. actually something wrong. Hopefully, if it's something wrong, it's not going to, like, hamper her chances for um, for Monday. Um, hopefully, it's just not the case. Hopefully, we're just going to see her practice tomorrow. But, yeah, when it comes to what she showed in Bad Homburg, um, I don't think we got that much info because we still haven't seen her play against, like, a flat hitter. Like, I don't know. Uh, she wasn't in the tournament, but like Ekaterina Alexandrova or something like that. Samsonova was actually in the tournament, right? Did she did she win right. her semi yeah. today? I'm actually not not sure. No, she ended up um, losing to Sinyakova. Yeah, she ended up losing to Sinyakova. So so oh, it was a it was a quarter. Sorry, not not the semi yeah. because they they still had to finish that. So I don't think we really would have gotten that much info, maybe even. But uh, especially against Maria, you know, it's such a unique um, such a unique play style. But I think um, eventually, especially once the the Germans started, you know, her uh, her fuel tank was a little uh, low after the Gaiba final, because she was just in the 125k final. Once she started, um, you know, just just um, yeah, once she didn't have that much left in the tank, I think Shiontek did well to like patiently hit through the slices. She had an excellent start to the match as well. Like up until four two, the wall striking was just incredible. And then the next two matches, I just don't think Blinkova, um, you know, they just didn't have any sort of chance of hurting her. It was one of these cases when, like, the the weight of shot that Sviontek brings to the court, even on grass, but, like, 
the ability to, to still be so offensive and just flatten it out. Against Taekwon, you could see it as well because you, you, you can think of both of them as like heavy topspin players. That's how they play on clay. And on grass, like the difference between how easily they stay on the attack, how easily they flatten it out, it's just so sharp and so stark, you know, so stark. And uh, like, I just don't think we really had a test for her, but it was encouraging. I, I would I would say that was definitely encouraging. If uh, like the, the whole food, food poisoning illness thing is not that serious, hopefully it's not. If it's not that serious, then I think she really got everything she wanted out of Bad Homburg. Um, she didn't win the title, but she played three matches. She got a lot of time on the court and looked great at it. I, I still don't know what happens when she plays, I don't know, Rybakina, Sabalenka, Aleksandrova, uh, players like that. I still don't know if she actually can handle them on the grass, but she can definitely handle 90, 95% of the tour on it. And um, yeah, this week was just proof of that. Yeah, I totally agree with everything. Honestly, like um, the first, the first six sets, first six games of the Maria match, it was all, already very encouraging. I loved what I saw in terms of just, you know, the the footwork, the little steps, the forehand, the, you know, even the serve at times was was doing some pretty decent damage, setting up her plus one. She was she just looked a lot more comf- com- confident. You could see that she came to Bad Homburg with a real purpose to try to do well yeah. and, you know, actually come and win the whole thing. And she was very serious and determined and. You know, I think with the streak also, you know, not being more, not being that this year, uh, in terms of like carrying that weight of the thirty-five match win streak, and uh, you could see that she was just she was just wanting to just get better and improve. And I think we saw that quite a bit. And then and then we saw her struggle a little bit with the slices, and suddenly her forehand went away for about two or three games as well there. But but honestly, once she lost that first set, it, it was never really in doubt that she was going to find a solution and find a way to come back and like you said yeah just the heaviness of the forehand the even just uh, closing off shots at the net I thought she was just a lot more intent on coming forward when she needed to she was obviously very comfortable and reliant from the baseline because like you said she was playing essentially clay court players for the first three rounds and uh, and yeah you know I just I just thought it was you know even though we didn't really see that flat hitting powers power player type uh, prototype yet uh, I still felt like at least, you know, yeah, like she's finding her footing. She's just a lot more. You you could just see that that inner belief is is really just set in because now she has just more. We have more of a sample size to work with than we did before. And at least, you know, it was one top 50 player. At least, you know, Maria is still decently tricky, even if, you know, it's, you know, it's not like Wimbledon semifinalist level Maria or anything like that. And she was obviously quite tired. You could see from having played Yeah, uh, the the final but i i certainly think uh Shiantek probably would have won won this title anyway you know had yeah. she stayed in it i just i just didn't really see even even samsonova i just don't think she's at that level right now that she was at and i just you know i, I just think maybe Iga with, with just her footwork and her returns would have just really figured it out and i think now when we look at her draw in at wimbledon i mean we really really see that she she doesn't have any of those players in her section like she literally avoided most of the players that you know could have been could have been threats to her like your like your Zandrova, your you know Sabalenka's Rybakina's of the world I mean she could only really face them in the semis and, and beyond but even even like Krajiko for example is in the other half and I just uh, I just really really like her section and wouldn't at all be shocked if she got to the final 
Um, yeah, and also you mentioned something about the motivation, which I think is really important here because last year we basically yeah. saw uh, her like Świątek's, Świątek's um, you know, um, the way she treated Grass last year was basically Kasper Rude like. Like they they basically had the same I think ideas and like the 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 the, um, the yeah. quotes from them um, they they were very similar like they they were just so negative about playing on the grass and right now you can see that she came to Bad Homburg with a completely different um, you know motivation she just arrived there she wanted to learn she wanted to win she had no um, you know she had no thoughts in her head like you know this is grass I'm not good at it. She just thought, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get better at it, and you could see it, and you could already see it in the results as well. So yeah, I think this was, of course, a very sharply ended and uh, I guess a surprising end to the week. But yeah, like the three matches that we saw, they actually couldn't really be much better. Um, and yeah, clearly she just take treats it a lot differently now, and um, it gives her a, lot, a, a big chance, I think, at Wimbledon to actually do something coupled with what you mentioned so the fact that she avoids a lot of the players that we think could be potentially tricky for her yeah i I completely agree and i also think like you know i listened to one interview that she had you know basically after the third match and i thought and and she basically said like i'm ready for Wimbledon, and she made a thumbs up and it was like you know it was like you normally don't hear her talk like that even on the claim and even even generally you know she's not one to really hype herself up or anything like that she's very even keeled or if not you know most of the time rejects any sort of notion that she you know is winning everything straightforwardly and she doesn't really like to think in that mindset but you could tell she's just she was just being like a sponge on the grass this time around and and she's she's such a quick learner you know as it is and she's absorbs information really well and fast and I think very similar to Alcaraz in that regard actually in terms of just how quick they both are at learning and adapting and uh, you could really see it especially in the first first three matches here and yeah I mean I actually I think maybe the only player that could be a little bit tricky for her is the number 30 seed Petra Martic on a grass court mm-hmm. maybe uh, you know just with the unpredictability of when she actually injects some pace on, on her forehand and just you know the fact that she can slice it very low you know down the line as well and maybe maybe could trouble Iga on her forehand a little bit and if the serve gets hot but I just but I, you know even that is kind of a semi-threat because she's you know Martic still has to get through for example for Vertova or I guess Harriet Dart and Diane Perry as well. So, um, but but nonetheless, you know, I I would say more the variety, the players who have bring a lot of variety and who slice kind of like Maria, but don't have the firepower. Those don't concern me as much as the straight up flat ball strikers and big hitters, like a Samsonova, like Zandrova, for or Ostapenko, for example. Like it's basically five or six players right now in the WTA that I could be like, mm-hmm. okay, like yeah, I mean, Eva might not be able to handle this right now, but none of them are in her half. Yeah, Petra Martic is a good shout for sure. Like she has just so much variety and also uses all court tactics, which we know that Świątek isn't really that comfortable with. There was this brief moment, yeah, when Świątek lost the opening set to Tatiana Maria this week, where um, yeah, Maria was just getting her off the baseline, was just getting her into a lot of these situational play, cat and mouse rallies. Yeah, for, forcing some, just forcing her into positions she is not comfortable with as like a you know, primarily 95% baseline player. Uh, she, she just loves to hug it. And uh, when she's yes. off of it, um, it can get tricky, like it did in the Ron Garros final. Petra Martic is definitely a player who could expose it. 
Um, do I think she actually has a has a big chance against Shriontek uh, if they play? Not sure. Like if, if it was like a best of five match, probably no. <laughs> but in in the shorter format, you can certainly um yeah just cause issues to to someone of this sort of a yeah. game. But but yeah, you're very right, of course, that in the bottom half of Wimbledon, uh, there's like um you know galore of power hitters, and in the top half, uh yeah, there's just all of these players that Shriontek has good records against. <laughs> Kasatkina, Goff, Pegula. Um, so yeah, yeah the it, third slam in a row that now you know she's drawn. Goff in the quarters. Quarters, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. You know, and that's a magic you know, matchup, of course. And that, and that's really good for her. Yeah, even even on yeah. the grass. Yeah, that that that's actually really good for her. Goff has been like. Uh, you know, she 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 will probably get um through a couple of rounds, but like when she ran into Alexandrova or when she ran into whoever she played, Keys was it Keys this week? I think it was Keys, and yeah, they just crush her. And I think Shvontek would potentially be able to do that as well on grass. Maybe even it would be easier for her than on clay, right? Because at the French we saw uh, Goff like trying to throw in a lot of height to disrupt her rhythm. This wouldn't really work on grass. Um, so maybe actually on the grass, Shvontek would even enjoy the golf matchup more. Yeah, I don't know what golf would have to do. I mean, basically, just serve out of her skin. Yeah, and just you know try to come to the net with every forehand, or just mix in the forehand slice, or just something like that. Maybe backhand down the line or something. But it's it's very hard to sort of set that up because at least on clay she can you know she can play with that height and then get something shorter to work with. So I agree with that, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just think you know, if she's healthy, if Iga's healthy, and that flu thing is, or I mean, the yeah, the food poisoning and fever and all of that is not a concern, which I really, really hope it's not, and we hope that she's absolutely hundred percent because if she is, I mean, she can. This is like a very good opportunity for her to, you know, win Wimbledon. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, it's yeah, and this is not something I would have said honestly. Like, you know, right after the. Well, before the draw was made, like, before yeah, the draw yeah. was made, I wouldn't have said yeah. that honestly. I, I would have said a quarterfinal is a very good result. Like that's what I would have yeah. said. I would have said like, okay, can she she can get to the quarters? I think she's ready to do that. But that was without seeing the draw. And now you look at the draw, and I'm like, you know, she should get to the final if she's hundred percent. But the thing is also, um, yeah, I mean, Zulen in the first round, I guess that's her first round opponent, and then then she plays the winner of Trevisan or Sarasri Bestormo. Sarasri Bestormo, of course, played that you know very good match against Kerber. Two years ago in <laughs> at Wimbledon, which I still haven't yet been able to watch, thanks to uh, yeah, I mean, just because yeah, manic, manic first week always in majors, but uh, but that but she's certainly a player who can you know just get some million balls back in play and is extremely quick and has a good slice and you know loves to just prolongate a lot of rallies and you know mixes a lot of different heights and loves moonballing and. You know, just a different sort of opponent who can really just junk her way out of a lot of matches or just utterly grind them with grind players down with fitness. So she can do a little bit of both. So I think that would be kind of an interesting test. Do I think her serve will get absolutely demanded? Probably, because she doesn't have one of the one of the biggest serves, obviously. And on the WTA tour, you have to either be able to attack right off the first ball with their off the second serve, or you have to be able to have a good enough second serve that you can defend it and maybe. Maybe I just think, uh, you know, it would be better on the clay, but that clay is also Shiantek's best surface. So I think uh, I think either way, this is a very good draw. 
Yeah, so and also something I have not uh, really mentioned was that in at least in these three three matches in Bad Homburg, Schwantek's serve was also pretty excellent. First yes. serve, especially. Um, I think I maybe, lot, yeah. yeah, maybe we haven't really seen the like the whole extent of this improvement yet. We can, I think we got some glimpses in like Doha or Dubai, but then over the course of the clay season, it just wasn't as meaningful because well, it's it's clay, it's mm-hmm. kind of mitigated. You know, no one is going to crush her serves like anyway, or like at the same time, she of course crushes everyone else's. And maybe this second part of the year where we have so many big events on quicker courts, maybe this is where we actually see how much it has improved. Of course, we haven't really, uh, yeah, again, we haven't seen it against someone who can actually, uh, or like in the past could expose it easily. But yeah, I I think um, actually at Wimbledon, it's going to be a factor. And um, yeah, before the draw was made and also um, when it comes to like before seeing her matches in Bad Homburg, it's probably like a bit of a combination of both for me. I never would have said that she has a good chance of winning Wimbledon, but right now Mm -hmm. I actually think so. Um, Even today I was writing this um, like at one of the websites that I'm working for, we are doing like a round table predictions article and I had to pick my winner and I actually chose Świątek. Uh, just because I have no absolutely no clue who gets out of that second uh, half. Uh, that bottom half is just um, is incredibly stacked. There's a number of great grass quarters, and I'm talking both third quarter and also fourth quarter. So I just have no idea who actually gets to the final. And in the top half, Świątek is like a pretty sizable favorite right now. I also saw that um, Tennis Abstract's ELO rankings were also making Świątek the favorite. Yeah. It's not like a crazy percentage. I think Djokovic has like 37 or something like that, according to Elo, and Świątek has 12 or 13. But it's literally what I've just said, that, you know, in the bottom half, there's just a number, a number of contenders. And she is kind of left alone. I mean, I, I wonder if maybe even Ninju can be dangerous if these food poisoning issues, you know, are actually more serious than they seem. Um, you know, Lin Zhu did so well at the, at the Australian Open as well and like has this sort of aggressive game. I just probably see it as like, I don't know, like you know, the matchup with Blinkova where it seems like, okay, she is a she is a player who can kind of, um, you know, put some pressure on Świątek, but then they actually enter the court and like the difference in, yeah, the weight of shot is just so huge. I kind of see it as, as a similar matchup here. But yeah, she she just really couldn't have imagined a, a better draw for herself, I think. And um, yeah, it would be amazing if she actually took the opportunity because, as you said, a couple of weeks ago, we would probably be saying that a quarterfinal is already great for her at Wimbledon. Yeah. And right now, a quarterfinal, I would be kind of disappointed if I was her, if, if I made the quarters, especially if I'm playing uh, someone like Kasatkina or uh or golf in it right someone that oh, i yeah. know i've ha- i have really a really good record against kasatkina i think she's lost to her on grass but it was like 2019 or no 2021 oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right i think it was eastbourne 2021 2021 yeah. yeah yeah uh but that was their first match i think and she won yeah. like one game in the last two sets Um, so yeah right now i would expect it to be a little um well just more lopsided into into iga's favor however uh kasatkina probably has a better chance of playing against her on grass than clay golf i would say is the other way around Hmm. yeah and kasatkina is also in the final this week yeah uh, of eastbourne and surprisingly good on grass yeah you, you know pretty pretty decent on grass just because she has a lot of variety and yeah 
I think that helps her on on grass and yeah she's just yeah she can do she can do like several many different things I actually think she likes to construct her points quite a lot the way Iga does with that serve with the similar type of service action and then likes to kind of look for forehands in her backhand side but it's just the, the way that they end up sort of playing is a little bit varied to where you know you you, you wouldn't be surprised if Kazakina caused some issues maybe on grass compared to clay like I could definitely see that like that Roland Garros semi-final that these two played last year I mean that was <laughs> that was that was very very one-sided in favor of Egods because you're like basically anything Kazakina does Iga just does a lot better and you know just has a heavier ball in general but uh, but yeah, and the other thing I wanted to talk about was you know we mentioned Shvantec serving better. I just think she's a little, serving a little bit more. She was just serving a little bit more accurately and a little bit just the first serves were a little bit more potent and yeah, it was setting up her next ball a little bit better. I do think also she has some technical improvements to make on that serve. Like for example, uh, I mean we'll get to him in a minute, but like Alcaraz for example, two years ago when he was serving and he was playing challengers and. Rio and 2020 and even the early part of 2021, his serve was different than what it is now. I mean, you can see that he's made technical improvements in terms of like really shortening up the the backswing on the serve, I guess, and making it just, you know, a lot more compact of a motion. And it's just, he's able to hit the spots. He's able to, um, actually, that's one thing he can't really do that well is hit the spots, but he's able to, you know, get to 130s and 135, 136, 137, for example, in Queens when he saved that break point but I guess my point is that I think Iga is definitely going to continue working on the serve and we will see her serve develop over the next two or three years I would be shocked if her serve is where the serve where it's at right now if by 2025 it's the same serve I'd be a little bit surprised like I I do think they're just making changes in that direction I kind of still like want to see where that serve actually is right now because it seems like it has already improved compared to last year and yeah, just remember, you know, when she was playing all these matches in Doha earlier in the year and, you know, blasting 180 uh, aces, uh, 180 kilometers an hour ace is you know, just perfectly placed as well. And yeah, if if we just keep seeing this over the course of the second half of the year, it will just help her in the future so much. You know, right now, three of the three of the four slams right now are on like pretty fast surfaces. Um you know, yeah. a lot of the Masters 1000 events, I mean, not Masters 1000 on the women's side, I guess, WTA 1000 events uh, are also pretty fast. So um, yeah. that you really need it if you're Świątek. You really need it to avoid getting hit by players like I don't know, Garcia last year, by Madison Keys in Cincinnati. And yeah, if if it really holds up, if it really holds up that the surf has improved, then yeah, it just helps her a lot right now and it helps her a lot in the future as well. Yeah, totally agree. I guess with that, let's move on to Alcaraz, because yeah. obviously, um, you know, obviously we we spoke a lot about the the match that we really wanted to see in Roland Garros and how you know the the last two sets were basically a no show and how he just sort of took that on the chin and uh, within basically put that completely behind him and went on to win Queens and I was very impressed by him in Queens. I I must say, you know. Because especially the first round, he was very, very close to losing out, similar to going out against uh, Arthur Rindernesh, who's a pretty good grass court player in his own right in terms of, not necessarily in terms of his record or matches won or anything like that, but just the style of play that he has to be able to rush Carlos the way he can on the first shot to charge at anything that's remotely short in, in the service box and come forward and 
you know, he can hit behind Alcaraz, which and Alcaraz was still struggling, I thought, in the first match to get his footing right. He was having a little trouble changing directions and just, you know, was just a little bit his baseline rhythm also just wasn't quite there. A few a few more errors than he would have wanted. And it seemed like, you know, this the you know, he might not be able to figure out figure out this match, especially if he lost that if he lost that second set, uh, for instance, there were there was one moment where he was serving to stay in the match, right at four five, and it was love fifteen. Like it was getting awfully close uh, there there for some time, and I don't think he played some of his best tennis, but he found a very good passing shot down the line, and he found that opening to get the break, and, and he won that second set, and then the third set was really back and forth, and then he played one of he played a very very good tie break in the end, and and eventually didn't didn't look back the rest of the week, and he beat some very good grass court players and. Dimitrov and Korda. Uh, and the, I thought the, I thought the Korda match at the semifinals was his best performance of the week. Um, I'm curious to if, if you think that's the same. Some people say Dimitrov, some people I, I tend to lean it was more the Korda match just because he he was absolutely phenomenal. I don't think I actually think Korda didn't play some of his best tennis in that in that match and probably should have played a lot better. But I thought, you know, against the Hechka, Dimitrov, Korda to not lose a set, to for the serve to bail him out in so many big situations for the final to be the way it was as well, because uh, you know, pretty pretty straightforward and never in doubt. I thought it was a very good week. And I know he didn't play any top 10 players. I know he didn't play anyone in the top 15. But does it really matter? Because we're looking at grass and we're looking at most of these top 10 players and many of them have played fewer than 20 matches on the surface. And many of them are not so like, you know, like if he had played a Rublev or a Tsitsipas and, you know, and gotten wins over, then it wouldn't really have told me much. Let's just put it that way. But it's just the fact that he's beating more experienced guys who have been at this stage before and you know, doing it so quickly already at his at his age, I thought it was very, very impressive. Yeah, um, I honestly was kind of surprised at how poor he was in the opening set against Rinderneck, and like I guess the match yeah. in general as well, because we've seen him play great tennis on grass before. Um, Alter third round against at Wimbledon 2022, even that match against Medvedev at Wimbledon 2021. I will keep mentioning it. He lost it pretty comfortably, but like he was just that sort of all-court grass attacker. He was so fun. And then he comes out yeah. against Rinderneck and like he's not moving well at all. I was just, I know, you know, first match on the surface that year. Also, yeah, he just doesn't have much experience on it, just like everyone else, basically. But yeah, I was just surprised that it's such a huge contrast. But yeah, then again, after that opening round win. And I do think Rinderneck is like, he's maybe not at his best on grass, I think he's actually like better when he can cover up that backhand a little more. But he definitely has the weapons for it. He has the you know he's the volleying. He has the awkward game. So yes. um, he is somewhat dangerous in grass from time to time, definitely. Uh, but yeah, it was just night and day. Um, after that Rinderneck match, um, you know, best match of the week. You said Korda, um, yeah, Korda or Dimitrov. I don't think it's the final, but he still won the final so convincingly, and that's yeah. mostly yeah because of the serve. Um, on many occasions this week, it was kind of unplayable for, for other players, which is yes. something that Alcaraz is not used to at all. Maybe we've seen him, we've seen it a few times in the indoor season last year, but then again, it was also at the, you know, at the same time, the other guys were also serving at him and he was struggling on return here. Nothing like that happened. Um, it yeah. reminded me of the fourth set against Root in the US Open. In the US Open? In the US Open final, where he hit like seven aces in that set and he had like many many unreturned serves and it yeah. built him out of so many because he was so tired and he was you know, tired and needed it yeah and and he needed it and the serve came to fruition and yeah it looks better 
he had moments like this for sure probably never over the course of like four matches and yeah it gives you a lot of um a lot of hope for Wimbledon as well because probably like ahead of Queens uh he was like tentatively the second favorite for me ahead of Wimbledon um I would probably think that maybe Medvedev is right up there maybe someone like um I don't know if if Hurkacz won Halle maybe he would be pretty close but like after he did that in Queens, he just moved to 100% comfortably the second favorite. Of course, it was also like it coincided with Medvedev losing twice in the um, you know, pretty early in um, two, two players that have always troubled him, but still. And uh, it kind of coincided with this. But yeah, certainly there's there's still a huge gap when it comes to Djokovic Alcaraz. But there's a huge gap between Alcaraz and the rest of the field. I think he's a bit more vulnerable to upsets on grass, definitely, still. Um, there's There could be guys, you know, that, yeah, just have a huge game, come out, rush him. Uh, he's been rushed on clay this year in many in many matches. You know, Struf, Rusev Wari, um, someone else that I'm forgetting. Oh, Maroshan, of course. Um, so it could happen on grass. It's probably a little easier to do on grass. But at the same time, if he's serving like that, maybe it's not actually easier. And yeah, I, I think Carlos Alcaraz is probably going to win multiple Wimbledons. Nothing really changed about that. But that Queen's run was was really strong. And also it kind of shows you like how fine um you know the, the sort of margins that we sometimes have in this sport where you know he loses that mm-hmm. much to Rinderneich. He has to play Herlingham or whatever the exhibition was that he signed up for. I think Herlingham. And um he has to play it. He gets like two matches. He comes into Wimbledon like relatively undercooked, definitely short on confidence. And he pulls through that match. He actually wins the title and probably you know, comes into Wimbledon right now feeling that he is the second favorite. So, um, yeah, just sometimes it only matters, you know, to, to get through that opening match, uh, no matter how you are looking in, in that particular on that particular day. And yeah, after that, it was just a phenomenal display of strength, really. Uh, probably even better than than I expected, you know. Even even thinking that Alcaraz is probably the the second favorite for Wimbledon, I don't think I was expecting him to be so dominant against you know yeah amazing grass quarters. And I fully agree with you that like if he played Rublev, let's say instead of Sebastian Korda or Grigor Dimitrov, it actually wouldn't give us more info no. than it yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I definitely agree with all of that, and it's like. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the serving as well, but I was, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Like he looked like a polar bear on the nights or something when he was coming out on on grass. Like he looked very, very uncomfortable in that first match. I was, I was, I was surprised too at the extent of the discomfort yeah. that he that he felt. But just you know how quickly, like we've seen this so many times, I guess in the in the big three four era, even with Murray as well, for a few years, where it's like you know the first match, especially on grass. It's like, I mean, even even Federer and his Halle runs, for example, like in 2015 when he played Coach Schreiber, he almost lost that first match. And then he just kept getting better and better throughout the rest of the week. And it was, you know, it was it was like, you know, if he loses that first match in Halle, and then, you know, next thing you know, you're thinking, okay, is he as big of a favorite as he is normally at Wimbledon? Stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I've seen this in the past with, with, all, with all of them really. And he's done it already twice this year where he's looked very uncomfortable in the first match. And then just you know found a way past that. And it wasn't it, it was ugly at times. It wasn't pretty, but then you just slowly elevate your level round by round by round, keep getting better. And then you maybe play your best tennis in the quarters, semis. In this case, it was quarters or semis, and then you know, you just 
you just ride the wave and you and you win you win a title that looked unlikely at the beginning of the week and he did he did that again and he's already done that two or three times in his career and he's won 11 titles now and i just think you know that that's a skill that some you, you can't really teach and you have to really back yourself and i think that offensive intent that this guy has the aggressiveness the willingness to come forward and finish points at that of course coupled with the improvement on this improvements on the serve he still can't hit his spots wonderfully well at times uh, but I think he just, I mean, like, for example, the, he was down break point 3-4 against Diminor and actually wasn't looking that great in the first set yeah. of that match. And then he hits a 137 serve flat out wide on the outside. And it's like, boom, break point erased. And then there's another situation where it's, you know, like I think in the last two games of the final, he hit eight unreturned serves. He had eight serves that were unreturned. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, last two games, yeah. So that was, uh, you know, that's not something you I would have expected to sit here and say right now. So that's that's quite that's very encouraging, honestly. If you're if you're a fan of his, and he didn't even have Ferrero in his box most of the time. You know, I mean, most of the, the entire week he didn't have Ferrero. He had he was working with PCB's coach. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and he he didn't really seem to panic or be in any kind of a look like he look any look nervous or tense at any moment really, and he just took care of business. So I think it. It sets up for a good Wimbledon, but the thing is, his draw is obviously, you know, it's it's a lot tougher in the, in the top half than it is in the bottom half. I do still think, you know, having played Rinder Nash already is probably going to help him in his first couple of matches. First round, he plays Shardy. Second round, he's very likely to play Rinder Nash. Uh, I'd be surprised if it was Alexander Muller, for instance. And then, yeah, and then, and then you know, third round, it sort of gets a little bit trickier, but it's... It certainly seems manageable. I mean, he would have Jari or Umber in the third round, or Kubler maybe, and then possibly Zverev or uh, Diminor again. But that's where I just think the experience from this week in in Queens really just helps, and he seems he seems to have learned very quickly already. <laughs> yeah, like Jeremy Shardy is clearly not a threat right now. Rinderneck, I think if they if they play again, it's yeah, we're probably gonna see how much Carlos has actually improved since that opening match in Queens. Also, you know, best of five sets, much tougher for to produce the upset. Kubler, um, you know, he's had a good year. Um, maybe not even good year, but like good grass court swing so far. But I just think that you know he doesn't have that sort of quality that he comes out and just you know peaks. He redlines his game. He is. Yeah, just playing out of his mind. And um, I don't think he really has like this upset potential against Alcaraz. Umber, Jari, maybe they could. But yeah, again, it's going to be very hard for them in the in the, in the best of five scenario. Um, Umber actually kind of disappointing so far for me this, this grass season, especially his performance in Queens. And Jari, um, yeah, he's got the big serve, but probably like usually his ground game looks a lot better in clay. He likes the yeah, he likes the higher bounce on clay on grass is just a lot more unsteady and you know he's generally a very erratic player. The minor we've seen that he cannot really beat guys like Alcaraz like against top ten players he usually doesn't have it. He usually doesn't bring it. Um, sometimes yeah, he struggles with the firepower from the from the baseline. Yeah. Like, so that's the that's the big thing is and like happen. having to play out of his skin himself like having to come up with something yeah. special it's it's not easy for him now over the years he's done some amazing work in improving his serve and yeah just being a lot more 
aggressive himself. He probably was like the more the better grass court player, I would say, in the final against Alcaraz. But it really yeah. didn't matter just because the forehand and the serve were yeah, just too huge. Um one Alcaraz guy actually that, went mm-hmm. to the drop shot quite a bit of times in that final and didn't work didn't work very well because Divinor was incredibly yeah. quick. He was reading it and his movement on a grass court is probably more natural to him than it still is for Alcaraz. But the difference yeah. also I, I thought of, as well as Alcaraz's backhand slice. My goodness, was it really, really good this week? And it always has been a very good shot. And I've seen him use it at some points in, in hard courts indoors as well, even though he hasn't had as much success. And I just think it's a very good, good one. It stays very low. It's good defensively. And, you know, when he's stretched out and he's maybe, because he's he said himself this week that he's not as comfortable sliding on, on yeah. grass. Like he's not going to want to slide, like for instance, the way Djokovic does. That's why he said he's been studying Federer and Murray, Murray videos yeah. and, and he's he wants to kind of try to play like them, and it, it makes sense. Like when you watch him, and you and you and I saw him, the way he was trying to change directions, it reminded me a lot actually of of Murray. And then obviously you have the aggressive intent of Federer, and I yeah. think those are good models because on on clay or hard, he would be he would be sliding and he would be moving like Djokovic in terms of the. Yeah, Federer, you probably have to look for like these um, these forehands that Federer used to hit, like when he's basically not stopping for the ball. He's just, you know, hitting the forehand and moving forward all the time yeah. um, along with it. And and that's definitely something that is very natural for Alcaraz. That's something that he always had and um, probably also a pattern that he can he can use on the grass. Um, so, yeah, um, very... <laughs> I just think one-handers uh-huh. in general on any surface are just not troubling Alcaraz at all like um, if you look at his record against one handers it's like 21 and one was that in hamburg i think that i think there was one in um in the challenger as well um who was it um it was something wild oh gianmarco moroni uh <laughs> but these are his only two uh what a legend but these, these, these are these are yeah. his only two um these are his only two um um one hander losses in his career at any level of competition. Actually, I think it was you who made me check that um a couple of maybe Duran Garros, because I think you were yeah, probably Duran, talking about it. The yeah. Musetti, yeah. He played three of them in a row and I was like, Okay, there has to be someone in the challengers or in the ITFs. I have to check it. And I was shocked yeah, to learn that it's Gianmarco Moroni, but uh, of course, that was quite a while ago. Uh, but yeah, um, I think maybe someone who like potentially could be a tough matchup for him in the forefront would be like someone like Hussler or Watanuki. Berrettini mm-hmm. in full form, of course, as well. But like, yeah, just just the sort of uh, all-out attacking tennis that Hussler and Watanuki play with amazing serves as well. Uh, Hussler with the, with the lefty bomb and Watanuki probably like, you know, surely a contender for like the, the best serve for when uh, if we factor in the height. Um, for any player but um, yeah they first have to get there and also of course it's just like they have to peak for at least three sets it's tricky it's definitely tricky the draw is still I would say it, it's not as good as it is for Świątek but it's still a pretty good one and it seems like um, before Alcaraz actually has to face some opponents who are likely to trouble him he will probably have a few rounds where it's just a little easier a little cleaner and he should be able to like get used to the courts. Also, the grass is gonna you know get worn out. It's gonna get start playing more like a non-natural surface, let's say, and um, you know it's just gonna get less slippery. So that's probably good for him as well, given the fact that, that you know, him, yeah. he hasn't perfected the movement yet. Maybe he has. He isn't Djokovic yet, but yeah. he, he needs he can more seasoning still. Like it still feels yeah. a little bit. The movement still feels 
a little bit raw. Like in a couple of years, I feel like you'll be able to make the transition, no problem. But right now it's, yeah. That's why that's why I don't have him beating Djokovic. Like I have him getting to the final, but that's where like, I just think the movement is where it's really good. Even when the court is basically completely brown <laughs> by the 14th mm -hmm. day, I still don't think it's enough to really help with the, to cover up, I guess, the gap in experience and all that. But I think, uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I think we, we said it like already, like, you know, between him and Djokovic, like Djokovic is a much bigger favorite, but then him against the rest of the field, like you would still say there's a pretty yeah. good, big gap between him and Medvedev, for example, at number three or whoever you have third, like even the center of, for instance, like it's just, he's just much more likely, I feel like, to get to the latter stages. Now, the only question is injuries, health, you know, I guess that's, you know, split set decision, split second decision making and, you know, has to be careful in the first couple of matches to not try to, I guess, chase down every single ball and slide or whatever, change directions and maybe, you know, trip up and trip up his step or something. But I guess there was maybe one slight injury concern in the final, which is he had his upper leg taped after the first set against Dimitri. Now he was still able to finish the match and he still yeah. looks, he still looks like he's practicing. So I don't think it'll be any problem for Wimbledon, but just something to watch out because I feel like most of his injuries have come in that region of his body, sort of upper leg, thigh, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like that, like that area. Yeah, um, I mean, the most part. And yeah, I'm, I... a couple of wrist issues as well, but like that's where mostly he feels the cramps and things like that so yeah i mentioned yeah. the the elo ratings earlier and i just um just went back to check it and yeah, Djok yeah. they they give like Djokovic 36.7% of a chance to to win the title and alcaraz is at 18.5 so yeah basically twice as much but then yeah. at the same time you have like next up you have medvedev at 8.8 .8. so also again like you know times 2 um, so yeah, I think I think that's pretty accurate um, in terms of you know who has the best chance here, and um, of course it's just numbers, and of course it's it's like you know anything can happen, but it, you know the 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 algorithm gives Alcaraz a forty six percent chance to reach the semis, and I think that's that's actually really accurate as well. He he just really has a good draw and and showed in Queens that he can be amazing on grass, which we kind of knew. But at the same time, um, maybe we didn't think that it was going to be like already um, a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly came faster than I than I expected, and certainly, yeah, it was it was surprising to see him learn this quickly for sure. And I guess you know, being in Queens, it's it's much more similar to Wimbledon than Halle is ever going to be. So, in terms of that, I think scheduling wise, also. Just uh, similar to Iga in the sense that I really felt like, you know, there were no health, there were no injury concerns. There were mm -hmm. no, like it was really helpful to play that week. Even if he had lost, for instance, against Winterlash, you know, at least it would have been, you know, more instructive than skipping it all together or anything like that. And for Alcaraz, it doesn't really make sense because his game is just more naturally suited to the grass than even, than even Shiontek is. So I guess, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it should be interesting and just to, just to kind of see. I, I think Alcaraz doesn't play until Tuesday. Yeah, because Djokovic, so. Djokovic is defending the title, so he's playing yeah. on Monday. So Alcaraz will definitely play Tuesday. 
Um, I guess uh, something we could maybe talk about is like if that final happens, Alcaraz Djokovic, what do you think that you know his chances are? And maybe also later we can talk about like if Sviontek plays Sabalenka or Rybakina um, in the final, mm -hmm. like what her chances are in a match like this. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough to say that right now. Like, yeah, two weeks of the course. tournament left, obviously. But my hunch is just that I I, I struggle to see a situation where the nerves and the occasion really get to Alcaraz the way they did in in Roland Garros, just because I feel like he's he's a type of player who learns from every single tournament and match that he plays in, and you know that him and his team and Ferrero are going to be working really hard to make sure that nothing like this happens. Like for example, I, the match that I always go back to is that. Hugo Gaston match that he played in Paris in 2021, mm -hmm. where he blew leads in both sets and obviously the crowd and everything, it like yeah. really got to him. You know, he was in tears. He was very, very young at the time. You can totally understand. He was 18 years old and, and everything. And then he just wiped the page completely. And then he just, you know, tore through even much stronger opposition in the, you know, in the next gen finals. And then we know where he's at now. So I just think like just when I saw that and I saw how quickly he learned from that and then I saw what he did this week and stuff it doesn't really concern me that I feel like the next time he'll play it won't be like the end of the world kind of a thing I think he felt like it was because of the hype because of the pressure and the, all the talk around him, the surrounding the match because like physically he would feel like okay yeah he should not be cramping right like he had two days yeah. between his match on Tuesday and Friday and it wasn't like the first two sets were it wasn't like the cramping, I guess, came from like endurance issues or anything like that. It wasn't an endurance thing. It he clearly doesn't have endurance thing. issues, right? I mean, we also the, the US Open. Open yeah. yeah. And same even with Barcelona last year when he played those ridiculously yeah. tough match against Dimonor and then backed it up against PCB the same day. So uh, he's done crazy things like that endurance-wise that you, you haven't really seen. So I guess it was it was really the nerves. And, the, and that's what he told us. So, I mean, I, I believe him because... For him to even admit that is uh, is is quite an open, that's quite true. open yeah. about it. So, I guess uh, you know, and I guess you know, Djokovic will probably just use the experience that he has, and just like we said, the movement is still you know he needs a little bit more seasoning. So, yeah, I'm not going to predict him to win the final, certainly not, you know, but I could see it being a, a much tighter contest, and I could see it being, yeah, like just you know, if it, if it went five sets or something, it wouldn't even. It wouldn't really even surprise me, and I I hope we get that kind of a match. I just hope we get a better match than what we got in yeah. Paris. That would be my only hope, really. <laughs> yeah, Paris was definitely a disappointment. Um, it, yeah. it's like that um that quote at um the end of Casablanca. I think that we'll always have Paris. I hope we'll always have London. Uh, yeah. that we're gonna get that final, and that it's gonna be really yeah. really good. Um, but um, yeah, I just have this similar feeling I suppose I would be surprised if it's a routine win for Djokovic I cannot pick against Novak at Wimbledon like if anyone's doing that right now I think you know it's just mostly wanting to be different <laughs> but um, yeah I just think it will be re a lot closer maybe that sort of you know, the, the way the grass enhances Alcaraz's aggression maybe it even helps him in a way um, you know and when when he played at Ron Garros when they, when they played he was like struggling to um, dictate with his forehand. He was struggling to really make a difference with his forehand for a long part of that match. He started doing that in the latter parts of set two. He was finally winning the long rallies. There were actually like a number of great forehands that he hit towards the end of the second set, which is why I think he had a bit more momentum than Novak going into the third for sure. Uh, of course, then disaster struck. But um, 
Yeah, I think may maybe here if he could come out and just blast saves and forehands, maybe it's actually easier yeah. for him than 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 on clay um, to play against Novak. Maybe. So, yeah, um, right. I think I'm it's going to be. I'm also interested to see if he uses the backhand slice. How mm -hmm. does that change things up backhand to backhand, where we know that Djokovic is you know going to have an advantage and also in, in the serve and mm -hmm. serve return battle. So that would be you can sort of like way. slow down the pace against Novak, right, and frustrate yeah. him this way. People have done it in the past. I don't know if they've actually won matches like that. They've mostly like threatened him and then yes. Novak eventually found the way to win. I mean, maybe you could say, I don't know, Dan Evans at Monte Carlo. Um, I mean, I'm sure there, there are examples. Most of the time, it's just like a tactic to frustrate him a bit. And then eventually he finds his way. Yeah. But, you know, people have definitely irritated him. Yeah, but just slowing down the pace of play. Fuchovic, um, you know, we've talked about him a bit. Uh, or, well, not here, actually. Not, uh, but yeah, um, he, he did it, of course, at Wimbledon one year as well. It was a straight set match still but it yeah. it was really tight like it, it felt like you know just a few points here or there and Fuchovic can actually have a chance yeah. there so um you know it, it's doable it's certainly doable on, gra on grass and yeah. and when and it I, comes mm -hmm. and I think with the slice that he has and it, it being able to stay low and it forcing Djokovic into some uncomfortable positions inside the court because it, it has to be a very good slice. Like it can't be sitting yeah. up floating because then you're to just giving Djokovic run around for yeah. It has to be like, yeah, it has to be like pristinely good. And I think I think Alcaraz is it's a very good one. Like you look at most of the top ten. I think we we talked about this already. But you look at most of the top ten, they don't really have a good slice. So yeah, they don't really have one. Many of them, and many of them have open stance backhands that help them. Uh, you know, out of jams and Alcaraz has that as well. But I think on on grass, you you need that extra bit of skill set. Um, yeah, and when it comes to like the other um, you know, the the other point that I brought up, like if Shvantec plays someone like Sabalenka Rybakina in the final, I don't think I really have a prediction. I would kind of have to see how it looks. Yeah, uh, the big deal, I guess, it. is like whether her serve is still going to be attackable or not. I actually think it might not be. Uh, especially the first one, of course. But you know, yeah, that's just something we, I guess, have to f see and like how much her forehand corner is actually going to be rushed. Um, yeah. The matches that she played against Sabalenka this year, like in Madrid, Stuttgart, she was not the player who was dictating the rallies there. She was more so like using her amazing movement to to survive, to withstand the you know, the the weaponry coming her way. So I would probably think that it would be similar on grass and like the forehand corner would actually be under pressure and probably the, like the main thing would be how it holds up. But yeah, there, there's a lot of um, things we don't know there yet. And maybe it's not even going to be a player like that. Like there, there are like 20 possible finalists from the bottom half, yeah. I think so. And you know, if Ribakina was healthier, for instance, like I'd mm -hmm. still have her as the favorite and it would be, you know, like, like I just think I also just think mentally, like the difference between her and Sabalenka, I think would show in a big match. Okay, um, is more likely to to it's more likely that Ribakina is able to stay really calm, collected, and uh, and impose that kind of consistent game plan. Whereas with Sabalenka, because she also has really big takebacks on her strokes or something like that, like Shvantec could actually rush Sabalenka the same way Sabalenka could rush Shantek sometimes mm -hmm. in baseline rally. So you could see like a bit more variance in terms of their level. Like it could, you know, just fluctuate a bit more. But whereas the fact that Shantek has avoided Ribakina, I think that's big. Like I think Ribakina is the most scariest opponent 
for Shvantec probably thus far in her career and this year. And also just like, you know, on, on grass, just because of how quickly she can finish points on the serve and return. And how, you know, how devastatingly easy that was for Ribakina in that Indian Wells match as well, you know. And just the, the confidence. And even when they played in Rome, you know, it just, you know, even even though Igor was injured and Igor was injured also in the Indian Wells match. So that contributed to the result too. But I just think, uh, yeah, the matchup is very is very difficult just with the quick strike tennis. She can make any court look quick. And when she's on and, you know, has the most accurate serve in the women's game. So, but all those things, but Rebekina has a big question mark. Like we don't know if yeah. she's healthy and we don't know if she's recovered from that illness in RG and it's been like three weeks. So if she's not healthy right now, then, you know, she doesn't even have that many matches. She just played one match basically yeah. coming uh in. So. And I actually like her draw a fair bit more than I do Sabalenka's, I guess. But that's yes. mostly that's mostly because of Muhova or Alexandrova in the fourth round for Sabalenka. Like that's just such a problem round that um but yeah, otherwise I do think actually if Mukova plays Ziga in the final, mm -hmm. that could be that could be trouble. Yeah. So for, for Iga, of course. She'd have an easier time um like introducing all of the tactics that she did in the Ron Garros final to keep it so close, she'd have an easier time doing it on grass. Um, so yes. Then again, but maybe yeah. Iga wouldn't yeah. be so nervous <laughs> like she was in Paris because yeah, that that also played a uh, you know played its part for sure. Yeah. So overall, you know, I think it's a good, great position for Shantek to be in, and same same with Alcaraz. I think yeah. for, for both these players, like it's yeah, like probably better than they both would have hoped. Yeah. Is my takeaway. Like just their chances, their chances have improved after the draw. Um, definitely. For Sviontek, I think they like skyrocketed. For Alcaraz, yeah. they just slightly improved, probably. Yeah. And we saw that improvement in the odds as well. You were pointing out the you know tennis mm -hmm. abstract odds. And I yeah. see the same Sviontek being the top favorite right now, right? Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even have the same chance as Alcaraz, according to the algorithm. Um, who is, of course, second favorite uh, beside, uh, you know, behind Djokovic, but mm. she is still statistically the favorite, you know, 13%-ish or or something like that. But yeah, I think that's that's actually true. Um, just because you have no idea who's going to reach the uh, who's going to reach the final from the bottom half. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I think I think we pretty much covered it all. Uh, yep. And uh, you know, look forward to seeing how the first week plays out. Plays out. Of course, they don't have uh, Manic Monday this year. And they, you know, they will be playing on Middle Sunday as well. So, uh, but you know, I think we we'll certainly still find time to maybe record after the first four rounds or something like that. And yeah. Just kind of see where both these players are at, and if they're both still in the tournament, which we certainly hope they are. And uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be fun to really just break it all down. And I think just another grass season is just an excellent way to get more data and just as we hope to have this podcast for a really long time. And so far, the feedback has been quite good. We've had a fair amount of listeners for the first five episodes and. You know, we, let's just let's keep this thing going. And yeah, it was fun as always. Thank you so much, Damien. Yeah, thank you as well. And we appreciate every single one of you um, listening. Um, definitely. Yeah, the, the reaction so far has been great. And it's it's helping us keep this going, too.